Hello and welcome to a new episode of Polar Times, the podcast that brings you science and stories from literally the coolest places on the planet. Today I am happy, but also a little bit sad, to uh, present to you the last episode of the Sense of the Arctic miniseries, a collaboration between the Apex podcast Polar Times and the Science and Diplomacy Group. And it's been a really an amazing journey with Inge and Nicolas, and we've learned so much. So I'm really grateful that they took the time to manage this mini-series and bring us all these really interesting guests. And yeah, I will let them present their last host. And I wish you a very good listening, and I hope that we, you will come back for more Polar Times episodes. Happy listening! Hi everyone, welcome to the sixth episode of Sense of the Arctic, a special series of conversations organized by the Apex Science and Diplomacy Project Group and released as part of the Apex podcast, Polar Times. My name is Inga Deschepper and I'm a student at Université Laval to be doing a PhD and my study areas biogeochemical modeling of the ocean and sea ice. Unfortunately, Nicholas will not be able to join us today as he's in the field, but hopefully he's practicing everything that we've learned throughout the last five podcasts. As we've heard from the past five episodes, community-driven research is essential to the success of contemporary interdisciplinary Arctic science. We will now hear a bit from the Greenlandic Arctic perspective on community-based and community-driven research. We are extremely lucky to have two guests with us today, Dr. Gitta Rehmer, Rector and Associate Professor at the University of Greenland, and Dr. Elizabeth Rink, also known as Beth, a professor at Montana Uni State University focusing on sexual and reproductive health through community-based participatory research in Greenland. Could you both provide a little more information about your background and what brought you to your current roles in the Greenlandic academic community. Hi, everyone. I'm Beth Rink, and I'm super um, honored to be here and speaking about the collaborative research that Gita and I have been working on now for almost 20 years um, in Greenland. And I, um, as Inge said, my background is in sexual and reproductive health, and um, the lens and framework with which I do my research is community-based participatory research, which we'll talk about a little later. And I started working in Greenland um, in 2006 when I was invited by Garrett Mulvad and Anders Koch, who are two um, physicians and, and researchers that work in Greenland. Um, they heard myself and a colleague of mine give a talk at a conference um, in Banff, Canada on community-based participatory research and sexually transmitted infections in the Arctic. And after that um, presentation, Garrett and Anders invited myself and uh, my colleague, Dr. Dion Gessink, um, to Greenland to start working um, on studies there and seeing if CBPR um, had a place in the Greenlandic uh, research community. So that's that's what brought me to Greenland. And I've been very fortunate to um, 
collaborate with Gita and other scholars in Greenland over the years um, on three large studies related to sexual and reproductive health. And then more recently, we've started working on a project on ethics and developing a research ethics infrastructure for the University of Greenland and the institutes that they collaborate with. Yeah. Hi. And Koyana, thank you for for giving me this opportunity to join, to be a part of this podcast. Um, as my name is Gita, and I'm um, my my my. I, I I do uh, I do work with the more with the the anthropology side uh, in my research is uh, and I'm focusing on uh, kinship and family and gender uh, relations um, and I have been working with Beth for almost twenty is it twenty years now and um, before that I mostly worked with this classical way of of doing uh, of, of doing field work uh, anthropological field work uh, and um, Beth introduced me for community participatory research which is the 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 one or the the method I like to use now because I see I see um, that this is this is how you can get more cultural sensitive um, and more respectful way of doing uh, research uh, among Greenlanders here in Greenland. So I've been taking all my education and my PhD here at the University of Greenland and uh, and, and been fo- we have been fo- focusing on, on, on a small settlement uh, me and Beth worked in in a small settlement called Kutlosso. We did our uh, population dynamics uh, there. I think this is how I have more I got more knowledge about uh, CPP here. Fantastic. I think you you literally just mentioned a bit of what what I was going to ask for the first question of um you have both worked as principal investigators on a project in a settlement in northern Greenland, Kolorsuak. Uh, Could you describe how the project came about and what role community knowledge and collaboration uh, have come to play in it? So um, population dynamics in Greenland was a, is the project that Gita and I did in Kusloswa. And it came about because... Before that study started, we were doing a study uh, called Enushlatanak, which means having the good life in Greenlandic. And that study um, was focused on developing culturally relevant education on sexual and reproductive health for Greenlandic youth and families. And at that time, Gita was sat on the commu- on the advisory board for for that other study for the having the good life study in Nushlatanak. And while we were doing that study, um, and that study took place in Umanak and Pamut, and we tried to do it in um, Etokatomet, 
which I know I'm not pronouncing right, but we tried to do it on the East Coast um, and that didn't work, which was a whole uh, learning teaching lesson for us around uh, that contributed to our knowledge of CBPR. But anyway, we were working on that project. And at that time, um, Melina Abelson was, is it, she's a, uh, a green, a Greenlandic woman. She, she was the minister of social affairs and she knew about our research. And so she knew about us. She knew about our project. She knew about us. And while she was the, the minister of social affairs, she traveled all over Greenland. And one of the places she went was Kusloswa. And during that visit, Melina had conversations with what were the concerns with the people in Kusloswa about their community. And they said it was pregnancy and abortions and STIs and the relationships. And, and they really wanted to understand what was going on with their young people related to those issues. And so Melina came back from that visit to Kusloswa And she reached out to us and she said, I know you're working on this other project, but when you're done with this project, you have to, your next project has to be in Kusloswa. So that's how we got to Kusloswa. And in fact, because um, the people from Kusloswa wanted us to come, they they were asking the minister to help uh, them. Uh, with this situation, with with a, l- a lot of young people uh, getting uh, pregnant and getting children very early, so it took us. I don't know. I would say from that from that that initial request from the Kusloswa mutes, from the people in Kusloswa, to when we actually started the project. Uh, Gita and I made like an initial visit there. We made some initial visits. Um, but we didn't start the project until maybe like two, two, maybe almost three years later. So, which is a long time, right? It's a long time to wait for a research project or a group of people to come and, and work, collaborate with the community on an issue. But I think because the community requested it, because they knew who Gita and I were by that point, um, they, you know, they waited. They waited for us and their their support and their investment in the project and their belief in the project never, never wavered. I mean, the, the project ended up, we, we did very comprehensive data collection and uh, with the community for about four years. And then, and then it took a few more years to wrap the project up with them. Yeah, and it took so long time just to get the trust from 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 the uh, people from Gutloswa. Uh, especially the young people was it took me more than three years. Maybe the last year it was easy easier. <laughs> was it after seven years or something? It was almost at the end of our our project that the young people finally did have trust in us because they saw us for so many years. And but but the, it took them so long time just to 
to to tell us their story, life stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in fact, yeah, and in fact, like when we when we had our initial when we would travel there in the beginning and talk to the so, so we started out meeting with the the community leaders like the official the elected officials and the heads of the different agency like the head of the school and the, you know the there's like one police person there and and some of the elected officials so we started out meeting like with the prominent leaders in the community and and we said we explained to them what CBPR was and how in CBPR studies the community is an equitable partner and it has decision making power and what we what we need from if they want to do this study we want to do a CBPR model where they're actively engaged in the decisions that happen around this project and um and so from those initial conversations we they they helped us identify a community advisory board to work with who could who could be that that equitable partner and that reflection of okay what what is you know how do we do this study here how do we collect this data how do we analyze the data how do we understand the data how do we share the data with the rest of the community with the rest of Greenland um and it was in those co initial conversations where the community leaders said you know your topic is is really sensitive and we know it's really sensitive and and so we want you to start slow and we want you to start you know with interviewing and talking to people about our society and our culture like you can't start asking these very personal questions until you understand who we are as a community. So they said things to Gita and I like, you have to come every season. You have to come in the summer and see when we go out on the water and we go berry picking and we go fishing with our families and we holiday. You have to come during whale hunting season so that you can see how we whale hunt. You have to come, you know, in the winter so you could see how cold and isolated it gets. And you have to come in the spring when you can see us out on the ice with our sled dogs and hunting seal and, and, and ice fishing. So, so we, so we did that, right? Like getting there in the, I think the latest we stayed was like late November. Um, that was the closest we could get to winter. And then we would come again, I think again in March, but we, we made repeated trips there to, to understand the society and understand their lifestyles so that then like Gita said, like once we got to talking to the young people, which was more towards the end of the project, um, we had their trust. Mm. So I think we need to introduce the settlement. It's a small settlement, Kultosra, and there's about 450 inhabitants. And and I think most of the inhabitants in, in Gullosua are young people and children. So in fact, it's, it's, a, it's a settlement with, with a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of more children and youth than um, elders and grown-ups. Isn't it correct? Yes. 
Yeah, and there's just one school, one shop, and 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 it's a small hunting community. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's wonderful, and I find it's really interesting that it's it is that thing of that we've heard in the previous podcast that it is really important to build that relationship with the community and the trust and to also actually understand their lifestyle, their, how they live, how uh, what they eat and all of that is really important. And I'm almost certain it was very important for you to understand the results of your study as well. It's, uh, I find that really, really interesting. Yeah, because you have to, you have to contextualize the scholarship with, from a community-centered lens, right? And you're, you know, some, it is true that like, you know, Gita's area of expertise is kinship networks, family, culture, um, adoption, you know, ch ch family, child dynamics, you know, mine is sexual and reproductive health we don't know anything about hunting and we don't know, we don't know anything about climate change and that's not our, our area. Right. And, and, and classic Western science segments, segment segments and compartmentalizes all these topic areas. But when you do community engaged scholarship and when you're you're doing community centered work you have to understand you don't need to be an expert but you need to understand have a have a basic understanding of how these i think they call them in sociology more than human and you know entities like these these other areas impact your your field so just like an example we we our first set of interviews was with hunters and their wives, and it was all about their hunting lifestyle. It was all about the hunting policies that Greenland has around whale and seal hunting, and and, uh, and stories about the dog sled. Yeah, and the and the dogs, right? And none of that had anything to do with sexual and reproductive health. But in the course of those interviews the men and the and their wives just talked a lot about how the the changes in the hunting policies the changes in going from skidoos to dog sledding and just how the whole culture of hunting in greenland has changed so dramatically over the years that it's impacting their li their livelihood and that that live that impact on their livelihood is impacting their decisions to have children, which then does get into our scholarship. That's wonderful. That's 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 it's really cool to to see that it brings up those links. Yeah, I guess. Well, that leads to um, the next question of uh, you mainly work with community based participatory research. Could you explain what it is and how you have used that framework in Greenland? Gita, do you want to do start or you want me to? Oh, I, I think it's better you start. Okay. So CBPR, community-based participatory research, is a it's a framework for conducting research. And a, 
um, you can use mixed methods and indigenous methodologies within a CBPR framework. Um, so you can use classic quantitative, quantitative Western science methods, classic qualitative Western science methods, and you can also integrate indigenous knowledge and in indigenous science like storytelling um, or, uh, or sharing circles, talking circles, um, as, or narrations um, as, as well. And in, in like true blue <laughs> um, CBPR studies, there are five stages. The first stage is the relationship building, which is so important, the relationship building and, and maintenance. The second stage is uh, collaborating as an equitable partner in the decision-making and the power sharing around decisions um, to design a study. The third stage is to uh, implement that study design with data collection. The fourth stage is, and you collaborate with communities on all of these stages. The, the fourth stage is the analysis of the data that's been collected, again, in collaboration with the community you're working with. And then the, the fifth stage is that dissemination stage where you share the results, not only with the scientific community, but with the community where you did your research and, and like how Gita and I did in the different municipalities around Greenland. And then also um, with, with the ministries and the government of Greenland and then across the, the circumpolar north. So I think the key thing to understand about CBPR is what we've mentioned already is that that you identify community partners who are appropriate representatives of the community for your topic and what you're trying to do. And, and they are an equal partner. It's not Gita and I making all the decisions about what's going to happen and what the data means. It's the community is working with us to make these decisions. So like a good example might be that um, Gita and I decide we want to do a quantitative survey which is what we did in Anushlatanak. We did a quantitative survey, which was also a CBPR study. And we learned from that other study that quantitative methods in these smaller communities in Greenland just does not work, right? It just, it doesn't. And we have very funny stories about trying to collect our quantitative data when we did Anushlatanak. And so Gita and I, when we were doing, when we started working on PDG, we sat down with our community advisory board and we said, okay, but, you know, part of what we have to do is collect data on perceptions of sexual and reproductive health and pregnancy here in, in Kusrolswa. How do you want, how should we do that? Right? We just, you just ask a very open-ended question, how should we do this? And our advisory board, you know, said, well, you could do that, we could do this or that, or this might work or that might work. And that was really where the idea to stagger the interviews and do different topics, starting with more neutral topics that weren't as sensitive and start with adults. And then over the course of the study, move into more sensitive topics 
with with the younger population once we had gained their trust and they were used to us being there. Um, and it also is important in the data analysis when you're collaborating with communities on CBPR that the data, you know, the you have to maintain confidentiality and anonymity, of course. So you have to, uh, so Gita and I spent time de-identifying the qualitative data and then um, Gita, because she speaks fluent Greenlandic and we had a um, Greenlander, a Greenlandic woman who also is fluent in Greenland, Greenlandic um, as, as an interpreter and a research assistant, they talked through the results with the community advisory board about, you know, like, this is what the results are saying. What do you think they mean? How, how can we contextualize them? Um, so the, the community is just actively involved in the decisions, right? It's not we co- we work with them to collect the data and then Gita and I go away and Gita and I make the decisions about the analysis, right? I just, there's a lot of misconception around what, com- what the different kinds of community-engaged research scholarship is. And I think the key difference with CBPR versus other kinds of community-engaged research is that the the community has equal power and equal decision making in what happens to the re- with the research. Mm. Git, would you like to add anything? I think I think CBPIs are so so important to use in Greenland because you have this equal collaboration with with, with the people or the population in Gudlosa and. Also, that it is it is good for who ask uh, us to do this uh, research with them. So they also have, uh, you know, they 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 also decide uh, all uh, decide the questions with us. And I think CPPI is also important because. It, it, it's a good methodology because we, wh- while we were doing our research in all these years, we also always uh, talked to the municipality, the government. We were informing all the steps that we were taking. Uh, we always talked uh, into the healthcare, everything, everyone who 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 have who 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 will have any interest in our project we kept talk with them in in all these years and i think they like that and while we were doing the research the start then the municipality the health healthcare um the hospitals uh, the government starts doing something about um issues that the settlement wanted to to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciate, Gita, you bringing all of that up because, Inge, that, um, that is also an important component of CBPR is that, like, you have your, your community that you're collab- working with on the research, but you have these other partners, right? And you have other you have to build capacity 
within the systems related to your scholarship. So Gita and I, like she said, we spent quite a bit of time in talking to municipalities and government officials and healthcare about what we were doing. And that helps to build trust. And it, and, and I think the trust is so important because in Greenland, what you're seeing is that, that communities aren't trusting researchers anymore because there's been so many research abuses, right? They're, and there's research fatigue, you know, there's, there's so much research going on in cl about climate change in Greenland and about suicide and about all these like really intense topics and communities are just like, you know, what are you doing? Who are you? Why are you here? <laughs> and the municipalities are doing the same thing. They're like, who, who, well, who's this research team in this town? Why are they here? What are they doing? We don't know anything about them. And all of, all of that lack of coordination and lack of communication erodes trust that is so important to research. I think, and the reason I think we have to explain that we don't have a national ethical uh, guidelines in, in, in Greenland. So, so we are just trying to build that up and that is a huge problem. So anyone who wants to do research can just come uh, and do research in Greenland in small segment and, and, and uh, sometimes very disturbing for us for, for small communities and, um, and 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 here in Greenland we are just a small population uh, just uh, about 57,000 inhabitants in in whole Greenland so so it's very easy uh, to to recognize people who they have interviewed uh, it's you know it's very um, how do you say it? It's very, um, you have to be very careful if you want to do research in Greenland, but there's no, no res research infrastructure in Greenland yet, but hopefully in the next coming years. I, I guess it's, it's definitely that thing of the community pay based participatory research definitely brings in that equal partnership. It's the, um, it's the involvement throughout the steps, the trust, and then also almost ensuring that ethical compliance, even though there is no framework at the moment, but to make sure the research is ethical. And I think that's that's a definitely a fantastic thing. So I, I think I'll move on to the next question. Um, so we've heard in our previous podcast about how community-based monitoring has evolved in different contexts from like the Alaskan, Canadian, European pers uh, perspective, where it has only been a major uh, area of scientific practice in, in the last handful of de decades. Um, and then you've got the Siberian regions where it has been uh, part of science for a much longer period. Um, how is community-based uh, and driven research as well as community-based participatory research evolved in Greenland from a Greenlandic perspective? Like when did it really start picking up, taking place within uh, research in Greenland? 
Yeah, I would say it's when Garrett uh, and Anders invited myself and uh, my colleague, Dr. Gessink Law, to Greenland because to do a CBPR study there. Like there was no CBPR studies in Greenland at that time. And we did the first one. I think there was community and previous to that, there was community involvement in, in research or community consultation, right? Where researchers consult with communities about doing a study, but that's not CBPR. So I think that's been what, 20, 20 years that, that, almost 20 years um that that cbpr has been has been used in greenland and i think you know it all research always takes a long time right it, <laughs> like you'll hear stories that it can take 15 years for research for the results of research studies to really have an impact and i would say that's what's happened with gita and i that um probably about 3 or 4 years ago we started to hear about other scholars in greenland using cbpr right so after quite a bit of time doing cbpr now, now, early career investigators um, and maybe mid-career investigators are starting to use it as a as a framework. Uh, yes, and in fact, I was just sitting in a in, in a uh, assessment committee committee for a PhD defense, and 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 it was it's, she was using she was using CBPR as a methodology to do research in health healthcare programs. So it was like wow. Now something is happening uh, because I think it was, you know, the healthcare area as a research area, it should get, it, it, it wasn't, you know, that they have to get used to, to, to do this, to use this methodology because, uh, yeah, it took some years, but then finally I think it's, uh, it's uh, going to be more used now. Hmm. I mean, I think one of the things to think about, too, is that, you know, historically in Greenland, research has been very dominated by a, a Danish model of, of conducting research, has been the primary, you know, model of, of educating PhDs and, and doing research in Greenland. And then I would say, you know, the U.S. in the natural and physical sciences has also um, used very classic Western science methods to do their scholarship um, in Greenland. And so CBPR is is a very new idea and and it and new ideas can take a while to to you know to latch on to. And then the other piece about CBPR that can be very challenging is that as scholars, you, you have to learn to let go of your control of the decision-making, right? Because if, if, if the people in Kusulswad said, you know, halfway through the study, they had said, we don't want you here anymore, you got to go away, or we want to do this and not that, um, you have to address that, right? Like you can't just keep doing what you want to do. And if you as the scholars think the data is saying one thing, but the community is says it's saying another, you have to reconcile that, right? You can't just ignore it. So it it can take 
academics, I think, and scientists a while to to realize that about how to collaborate and how to let go of of all of the decision making power. I, I guess it's that thing of almost you have to leave your ego at the door and learn that it's it's the community that has a has the biggest say in what research goes on where it's traditionally was driven by the the academic world and I, it's it's good to rather drive it in the in the way that it's going to benefit the community ultimately as well yeah yes and, yeah and i think people in the last 10 years are so like you talked about research fatigue greenlanders are so tired of so many researchers coming to Greenland and do research on Greenlanders and the country, and they just leave the country without never giving back their research results, which is something that the government have been trying to to solve. Uh, so people, so so I hope in the future that. We will still. This is still a problem because you still have a lot of um, a lot of researchers not giving back to the communities they have done research on. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I guess that's that. That brings in the the uh, where it's the partnership and it's the equal partnership in the data mm-hmm. collection and the ownership and the actual knowledge of it is part of the communities. It's not just the researchers, and that's what community-based participatory research is it's it's yes. everybody's not not just the researchers yeah yeah and i think it's important to like researchers have to we have to learn how to do that right like not not ev- not all of us get trained in our phd programs in 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 partnerships and collaboration and in these different community engaged methodologies um, so I think it's something that academics need training in. And then I also think it's important to note that like not all research projects might be appropriate for CBPR, right? But you can take components of CBPR and use them, right? Like like the dissemination piece and what Gita is talking about, like maybe some natural and physical science projects or projects that go on. on the polar ice cap or, you know, deep in the ocean, Arctic ocean, um, off the coast of Greenland aren't CBPR appropriate studies, but, but the scientists that do that, that scholarship can, can collaborate maybe with their Greenlandic, um, uh, institutions or the government to, to figure out, well, how are we going to share, our results in a way that's relevant and appropriate for Greenlanders to know what's going on in the ocean or on the ice cap, right? Like there are ways, there are appropriate ways and places to partner with, with uh, communities to, um, to share knowledge. And I, and I, yeah. And I just think it's, we need to think through you know, like when is it appropriate to do these really intensive CBPR studies and when could it be that we just take components of it to help us understand the research that we're doing? And I also think that it is important 
for researchers to to help uh, to be um, um, with with capacity building building in Greenland in the communities. I think that is that is also important when we use uh, commu- uh, CPPR. Yeah, I guess that's a, that's a question that I I just thought of is um, um is there a certain process where you uh, try to almost uh, pass on knowledge, but also use them use that to uh, as a conduit of education for the community. Like when you do the data analysis, you say it's not just the researchers that are doing the analysis; it's also the community that's taking part in the analysis. Are there some programs that uh, help to 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 teach the community about the analysis methods and things like that as well? Um, I. There, I mean, certainly in the United States and Canada, there, there are, there are um, universities that do training institutes for community members on how to do, how to be an equitable partner with a researcher. Um, though those types of trainings aren't available yet in Greenland, but like what Gita talked about earlier around the research ethics infrastructure and our more recent project together um, on developing a research ethics infrastructure for Ili, for um, Ilitusamafik for the University of Greenland. We are looking at those. We are looking at developing those kinds of trainings. So that was a great question, Ingi, to ask us. Um, and education materials for community members. So I will say that, like, what Gita and I have done is like that real time education, right? Like, this is a this is a transcript. This is qualitative data. Um, you know what? These are the these. This is what's being said in the in the transcripts. What are you know? What are the themes? Or here, here's the transcript to read. Um, what is? What are the main ideas? Right. And so you're just actively in real time sitting down with your community advisory board and working with them on it. Um, for Anushlatanak, the project we did before PDG, with our quantitative data that we collected, we had we brought the community advisory board together. And then in, we made like big colorful uh, pie charts on um, flip chart paper and we put it up around the room and we had the community advisory board members look at like, you know, how much red is here for this ant for this variable, how much green is there for that, for this other variable. And we talked to them through through that process and ask them, okay, when you look at like how many people are answering red to this question, what does that mean to you? Or how many people are answering green for this question? What does that mean? So those were the ways that we worked with them on interpreting the data. I think that's fantastic of actually going and showing us like, this is how you interpret it. It's not just boom, here's a graph. Now you have to understand it. It's actually trying to explain what is being shown. That's that's fantastic. Okay, I guess uh, then, um, so coming from, because I'm at a university in Canada, we, we were told that there are many links between Greenland and Canada, and not just geographically, but also culturally, socially, familiarly, and that many Inuit communities have families in both countries. 
Could you talk a bit about how uh, uh, community-based monitoring can help bridge people across the political territorial divides? And perhaps a bit about how this reflects the Greenlandic aspirations for sovereignty and its relationship to Denmark. Um, I know we, we talked a bit before the podcast recording that 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 idea of the of many uh, relationships might actually be incorrect, but maybe uh, you could both talk about that. Gita, I feel like this is more, I mean, the family, kinship, cultural pieces, I think are... Yeah, uh, I think there is, you know, among Inuit also, Inuit in Canada, there is some, a lot of similarities also in the language. In fact, the Greenlandic language, which is, which is an Inuit uh, language, is, is the most dynamic and living uh, language among Inuit in, in both in Alaska and, and Canada and S Siberia. Um, but there's a lot of similarities uh, with, with Inuit in Canada. Uh, and there's some, some family bonds between, especially between people from Kanak and uh, Nunavut area. But the strongest family bonds uh, for Greenland or Greenlanders is, of course, between uh, Denmark and Greenland and, 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 and Faroe Island some so yeah great so so there is definitely that that bond there yeah yeah i think i'm not my my react like how this impacts me as a u.s as an american scholar and a scholar from the u.s it, um is when i very first started working in greenland I, I didn't pay enough attention. I wasn't prepared for the Danish Greenland, the intensity and the length of time that, you know, Denmark has had an influence on, on, on Greenland and the whole colonization of Greenland by the Danes, you know, they're, that whole history between Greenland and Denmark is very <clears throat> is different than the history between the U.S. and the indigenous communities of the United States, and so I, my you know my my naivete and um, my lack of understanding about that long history took me some time to work through because as a U.S. scholar working in Greenland, I not only had to navigate the Greenlandic culture and the Inuit culture, but I also had to navigate the Danish culture and the integration of these two cultures together. And, and that really took me by surprise. Yeah, I guess it's wherever you do research, you have to you have to almost learn the history as well before you can fully understand how the community structure is, what what governs the community, like the 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 bodies around it. It's it's yeah, and I think that's a perfect point, Inga, because because again, like I'm a I'm trained in public health. I'm not a trained historian, and Yet, 
I I had to really learn about the history, right? I had to spend time once once I figured out I was like, "Oh wow, I don't know anything about this history," right? I need to figure this out. Um and I, I, I had, I had to learn and spend time reading about the history and really paying attention to how the history is impacting the scholarship that Gita and I were doing. And in fact, uh, we also had to learn the history of Kutlosa of the small settlement. And I'm, 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 I, I've grown up here in Nuuk, the capital of Greenland. So for me, it was also. A new experience, even though that I was Greenlander, so so it was it was somehow so interesting. They have their uh, kinship stories, their the settlement stories, and um, so there was we we needed to learn much about the history of people's lives and and also the community uh, history. Um, which is totally different from 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 the history of Nuuk, the capital. Uh, so it, it is also a, a really small settlement where everybody, almost everybody, talks only Greenlandic. So they have it's it's it was a very Greenlandic small hunting community, which is. Uh, uh, that's really, really interesting, and I think it's also it's it has been mentioned in a couple of the podcasts that it's um, when you do approach community based monitoring um, or community driven research, it's you have to take into account each individual community's history um, because one community is very different to another, and the dialect that they speak is different and. And what happens, the, the the hunting methods, the foraging methods, is it can change just very, very quickly. Um, and that's very important to take that into account in your research, mm-hmm. no matter what topic that you, you, you look at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would also add that because so much now of the scholarship in the Arctic involves interdisciplinary teams and interdisciplinary science and and scholars from all over the world coming together in teams to do research across the Arctic, that in addition to understanding the histories and the cultures of the individual communities or environments where you're working, you also have to understand the, the research culture that you're trained in and where you're coming from, right? Because I that was something, you know, Gita and I had to had to address within our collaboration, right? Was how she was trained as an anthropo- as a as an anthropologist in in Greenland, <clears throat> and how I was trained as a P a public health PhD in the United States, right? Like, and then you have the overlay of working with scholars that have been educated in Denmark and their process too, right? How they view research. So there's multiple layers of things to pay attention to, I think, (laughs) when you do this very mindful, intentional, community-engaged scholarship that um, that is is new. I think it's new for Greenland. Yeah, that's true. And I think it's new everywhere uh, because it's like, as we're always told as early career scientists, it's like, 
you have to look at the bigger picture. You can't just look at your little box with your blinders on. You have to look at everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I guess the, the next question uh, I've got is um, Greenland just released its first national research policy earlier this year, both to ensure greater local control over and uh, participation in science and uh, to position the country as a whole as a leader in global and Arctic science. Can you tell us a bit about how this policy was developed and what, if any, impacts it uh, has already had on how research has been done in Greenland? I think it took so many years. I was still a young student back in the 1990s and, you know, in, in, in and they've just been working on this for more than 20 years. So it was, I was so happy finally b- before I retire. No, <laughs> <laughs> that Greenland got its uh, uh, research strategy. So it was, uh, it was made uh, with the collaboration, of course, with the research community in Greenland and with the government. But it took a lot of years. So, uh, yeah, so we were happy finally to get one, to get it here in the beginning of the year. So, yeah. I guess, I guess could you could you potentially um, touch on, like, what aspects of research does it actually touch on? I think it's all aspects, but it is it's also it's also focused so much on on natural sciences i think isn't it correct um the yeah the research strategy focuses on building collaborations uh, so i'll just say i like i'm not an expert in the greenland national research strategy right i i've read it multiple times the one area where gita and i are i would say i, I mean i hesitate to use the word expert cuz it's it's such a loaded word but the one area where gita and i are focused on the national research strategy is on the research ethics infrastructure development but as a whole the um the research strategy focuses on building international collaborations between institutes and in greenland and the international and international institutes it focuses on um, educating future generations of Greenlandic scientists, which is wonderful. Um, it has a strong focus on all of the uh, institutes in Greenland developing a research ethics infrastructure that's pertinent to um, their research. There's a focus on integrating indigenous knowledge um, into research that takes place in Greenland. There's also a focus on um, the sharing of results and how to um, how to share results with communities and how to that that's for the benefit of them. And then there's also a strong focus on community engagement with. Uh, which is what we've been talking about. So those are the different areas of the of the national research strategy, and um, I think Gita has has underplayed her role in the national research strategy because she was the chair of the Greenland Research Council when the government of Greenland was really focusing on getting this research strategy done, and Gita 
in her leadership of the Greenland Research Council kept telling that this she was the chair of the Greenland Research Council while we were finishing up our project in Kusolswa. And so there were constant communications between Gita, the Research Council, and the government of Greenland with, you have to focus on research ethics. We have to address um, the oversight of research in our communities. The communities are getting fatigued. You, we need to focus on community-engaged research. So I feel like Gita, Gita's leadership in, in having a research ethics infrastructure focus in the National Research Strategy is, is very prominent, Gita. Thank you. That's wonderful. <laughs> and and well, but if you just just you through your descri- describing on like all the different aspects, it's like emphasizing the community based in the community involvement, sharing of the knowledge, and all of that. I think it's that's a wonderful thing. It's uh, it's really fantastic. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I guess we're we're coming to the end of the podcast. We always have the same question at the end of each podcast. Um, we ask our guests if you uh, can give our early career researchers some advice and methods to use when they wish to uh, work in partnership with an indigenous or local community on a graduate or postdoc or full research project. Um, would you give mind giving us a few? tips and tricks that we can uh, give to our listeners that they can apply when, they, when they're doing research? I think, first of all, you need to have respect, be respectful for, for the community that you will do research with, that you will collaborate with. And, and it's so important also to just share and give back uh, the results, um, which is what we haven't uh, always experienced here in Greenland. So it is so important also to just just to to get you know just to uh, to get people to know, even though that you do your research in the ice cap, you should at least know the story of the country, know the people and talk to people who 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 are living in in, in that country community or yeah to, to, to collaborate and, and be respectful is so important. Yeah to build on what Gita has said um I think I think it's important for us to understand, and for early career investigators, but really any investigator, to understand their positionality and their their own, who they are and where they're from and what they represent and how, and how to present that in a way that is respectful to the community and understand how that, your positionality can influence the research and the research that you do is is important so i think you know there's a lot of there's a need for a lot of what you know i consider to be self reflection 
um, that scholars have to work through in themselves that like, again, you're not necessarily taught that in a, in a, in a, in a class about like how to be self-reflective, but I think you have to spend some time thinking through who you are, why you're doing what you're doing and where you come from, not just your own family, but your, your country, right? Like what does the U S represent to Greenland? I had to think through that. So I think, I think that's important. I think it's important to part to get, um, to have mentors, senior mentors, um, who can really guide you through your first few studies. I mean, I still have mentors as a more senior scholar, but definitely as an early career investigator, it's important to find mentors, um, who can guide your, your work and then I think the other important thing is that when you're starting out in your career, you want to set yourself up for success. And so even if you want, you're totally dedicated to CBPR and these, you know, and these involved community engaged models, depending on, you know, whether it's citizen science or assessment monitoring or some other kind of community engaged model, I think it's important to focus to be realistic about what you can do. So, you know, if you can't do a true blue CBPR study, identify a part of CBPR that you could do, like the data analysis or the dissemination piece and, and, and start small so that you can build your skills, be successful and then and then grow in your next studies. That's wonderful. Thank you very much. And thank you, um, Gita and Beth, for your time and your knowledge. And um, yes, it's been wonderful. I've learned so much again. <laughs> Every single podcast, I learn a lot. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. This was the last episode of the Sense of the Arctic mini-series and I would like again to thank Nicholas and Inge for this amazing uh, episodes that they made for us, for you. And um, I would like to say that if you want to give us some stars on uh, podcast apps, uh, please uh, rate us and... Um, if you want to uh, reach out to us for proposing a guest or for um, joining us in the podcast team or for even proposing yourself as a guest, you can reach Apex um, on uh, Twitter or Instagram and, uh, and we'll be happy to reply. Thanks again for tuning in and uh, have a great day. Please note that whilst this is an Apex production, the views and opinions expressed by the host and any guests are entirely their own and do not represent the views or opinions of Apex or any other host institution mentioned.